Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. I'm still beardless. Here we are. Good morning. Um, it's it's got the kiddos. We're they're being good. So excited about that. Um, yeah, a lot going on this week, folks. Uh, we've been uh, working on the the dock. This. This picture back here drives me insane. It never, Chris Christopherson never wants to stay straight, ever. Um, come on, Chris. Help me out, man. Um, so a lot is, lot's going on. Um, you know, we're working on the doc uh, about my mom uh, with Vice. We interviewed a lot of very interesting folks this past week. Um, or weeks, I guess. Um, one of the folks we interviewed was with one of the folks that worked with Jerry Falwell, and um, I was working from home, so they were shooting in L.A., but I was helping do with, with them with some of the questions and stuff, and that was intense. That was brought up a lot of, lot of uh, old memories, uh, you know, and some wounds. I, I'm grateful for great therapy over time, um, with, um, uh, with great therapists and great types of different types of therapy in my life. Cause it helped me cope with some of those old emotions and old feelings that were coming back. Um, so that was nice. It's nice to see everybody greeting each other. It's like when you said, turn to your neighbor and say, <laughs> we're doing it. Um, so yeah. A lot going on um, last uh, last week and was kind of an emotional talk um, worked on this talk yesterday a bit and kind of the idea here is is, is it's just kind of a I just kind of went with like a like a linear type of thoughts um, I'm, I'm, I'm diving into uh, some really incredible work right now. Um, there's a book by the uh, theologian uh, philosopher John Caputo, and uh, I'm uh, about the specters and uh, basically being haunted um, by God in a way. Uh, but it's, it's very technical, and it's been, I was on the phone this morning with Peter Rollins trying to figure out some of these nuances that you know, I don't have, because I don't have proper philosophical training. Um, and yeah, it's it's going deep. So there's a lot going on in this noggin of mine. So I'm going to try to bring some of that got to, to you folks today. Um, you know, probably with a very similar message than, as usual. But um, I think hopefully next uh, week is my goal to kind of have that more under my belt. Um, I've got something that's really cool that's happening. Um, the folks... Um, the folks over in London who are doing uh, the Tammy Faye musical um, have offered to um, fly me out um, for uh, to see the musical this week. So I'm actually flying to London tomorrow evening. They are and they're letting me see the the, the production on Wednesday. So um, red eye. Little red eye to London tomorrow night. Uh, very excited about that, and very honored and touched that they uh, invited me out. That, I just thought that was really great, and I'm um, really excited to 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 see what they've done, see what Elton John's done, and and Jake and all those guys with the, the, the music and everything. It's uh, what I've heard so far and what I've seen. It's been pretty pretty amazing. And 
surreal, right? Life is very, very, very surreal sometimes. Hard to, uh, hard for me to wrap my brain around that. I mean, heck, last year I was going to the premiere of, of a film about my mother. Now I'm going to a musical. Uh, so, you know, constant. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> but today we're in Seattle. We're, we're in Linwood, Washington. And we're doing Revolution Live. Uh, Revolution Gathering Live. I brought my Bible, but I don't know if I'll be using it much today. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that's exciting stuff is happening. Just so much stuff, just a lot of stuff. Um, you know, often also, uh, just to kind of give you guys an inroad and I'll mention it at the end again, is also uh, Revolution, uh, the church is, is right now financially not doing well. You know, we haven't met payroll in a month. Um, so most of our money's been spent on just paying the people who do the payroll, ironically, and paying, you know, for our internet stuff and our all the little things that we do, um, which is great that we're able to take care of that. But um, we really could use your support, and you can go to revolutionchurch.com to do that. Because, um, uh, you know, I, I love doing this work. I've done it for almost, you know, 25 years now. Um, but could use your support because that's how I do this, how I live, how I'm able to, you know, take care of my children and also spend time in reading all the time and studying all the time. It's kind of like a continued education for me and to be able to have these talks and uh, hopefully move forward if I get, or I'm looking at some places closer to town um, through affordable housing care. So, you know, trying to keep it on the cheap. So anyhow, um, yeah, thank you, uh, Roberta. If any, anything helps, also sharing uh, the talks and things like that on, on uh, your social media also helps quite a bit as well. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I'm going to be celebrating my mom this week, um, and I'm excited about that and excited to see like the impact that she's left. And it's wild, like usually when I've been in the UK, I haven't been to London since I was a child, but when I go to Belfast a lot, as you probably know, you know, people don't really know much about my parents. So it's really wild that like they're selling out every night because they've been doing like pre-shows of the the, the, the the play that people like in England that, you know, European folks are buying tickets to, I mean, I know they're doing it probably because Elton John wrote the music. Um, but, you know, it's selling out and people are like that interested in my mom's work. So that's just really cool and it's gonna be really cool to be a part of that and to see that and hopefully uh see a few of you who are over on the other side of the pond as well while i'm there um so i'm gonna start with a quote from um from um john caputo uh whose book i'm reading right now and going through and kind of inspires, inspired me this week. Um, he's also a big fan of Tillich, so that's been pretty cool to kind of see what he has to say about Tillich. He has a different reading of Hegel, though, which is really interesting. So that's where I've been working through the nuances, you know. And when I talked to Pete today, he's like, man, you're going really deep. And I was like, well, that's really great, but it's also really hard because it's, they're so subtle. These differences are so subtle. Um, but to quote uh, John Caputo, someone needs to save religion from all the harm it does. Now, this is a part of a much longer writing, um, but I chose this part because it, it just kind of was really clear to me of, of, of the work that I feel like a lot of us have done, a lot of us feel. Uh, a lot of, you see a lot of people doing deconstruction and things like that because they've, they've really suffered from pain from the church even this week you know going through and uh, for the doc that we're working on you know the interviews with people who had worked with jerry falwell and things like that you know it's like my triggers and my old pain and my you know came up and uh and one of the reasons we call ourselves revolution gathering right now you know is because we just don't feel like we're in a place to be a church because we do feel like the church is 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 really divided and really can be really harmful and hurt, we're a very hurtful place right now. And so 
yeah, we're just kind of seeing where the, the, where the, where life takes us. Um, so once again, Jim John Computer says, someone needs to save religion from all the harm it does. And I think all of us may have different stories and different ideas of the harm that we've, we've suffered through religion and how do people's different perspectives and ideas and traditions and, 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 and you know, movements and ignorance, you know. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. One of the questions that um, I've been dealing with in my own, uh, with my asking myself and, and through with seeing my analyst, um, you know, one of the questions I've asked is, why do I continue the work that I do? Why do I continue my family work? Um, why do I care about kind of a, a community of people who haven't always been supportive to people I care about, to myself? You know, a community that often seems lost and divided. Um, you know, why do I do that? And, and I've had other folks ask me that in, in my work. Oh, why do you stick with the church? Why do you continue to do work within religion why do you, you know why stick around and and I, I if I think if I go back really far you know I think it would be m mom and dad you know I think both of them um, really taught me a lot about to love folks and love people unconditionally and to even embrace groups of people unconditionally and to always hope for restoration always hope for grace uh, you know, and my mom just always tried to continue to love people unconditionally. So that would be early, my early influences. Um, you know, later, I think I would look at people like Paul Tillich and, and Dr. King, um, even uh, looking at Martin Luther, the reformist, you know, uh, seeming to be done with, with, with the church world and the church, you know, religion, and then having that moment of going, Oh, grace is real. You know, grace is something to talk about. Um, but why do I care about a lost? And I also, you know, I'm haunted. And that's one of the things that, that John Caputo talks about is this haunting that we have. It's like, and it's Halloween season, right? Next week will be Halloween. Um, you know, haunted by something that I can't escape. By a little seed that was planted in my childhood. Or by something that's there you know, that I, that I can't pull away. And I'll tell you, I, I've had big times of my life of like complete doubt and not knowing if there was anything there or not. Um, and this haunting is that one little thing that continues and the haunting's gotten greater and greater for me. Um, and, and which has been really great is it's been through reading, uh, trying to grasp the work of, of Hegel and, and people like John Caputo and continuing to read Tillich and, and, and looking at these people who were by no means perfect human beings or evangelical Christians or tr even really traditional Christians in so many ways, but seeing what that haunting was for them and what that brought into their lives and what that kind of constant little pulling and nagging of, uh, I don't want to say nagging, but that just constant reminder of there's something there. And so for me, I'm haunted. Um, You know, I, I, I'm also feel like, you know, being misunderstood, I'm also very misunderstood. And that's why I think I can kind of sometimes uh, have compassion for the, the church and its division and its strangeness and its awkwardness is, is that I know what it's like to be misunderstood. I know what it's like to be seen as an outsider. I know what it's like to be seen as, you know, one minute great and one minute an outcast. You know, what it's like to be judged by other people's actions and not your own, you know, what it's like to, to be scapegoated by others. Um, so I think there's a, a lot of empathy and sympathy uh, that I have for this community and, and, and why I encourage us all to kind of maybe do this work of arguing well, having tough conversations, even listening to others' critiques um, to find out what they're seeing and what they're hearing, you know, and uh, what's, the, what's the, the commonality there? What's the truth, you know? And uh, what's fiction? Um, you know, and I've also been imprisoned by legalism at a time of my life, you know, a time of my life where I, I thought, 
you know, that God was this man in the sky, this rigid spirit in the sky, you know, looking down and, 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 and sometimes just writing, you know, keeping my sin checklist, you know, why I was acceptable or why I wasn't unacceptable. And, you know, getting caught up into that old thing is like, well, I have to be, you know, if my career is good, then it must be God approves. If my career is not, but, you know, this thing. I mean, I had a friend who I remember her van broke down and she was like, I don't know what I've done. God must be really disappointed with me. I can't get my van started. And I said, you know, do you ever think that maybe it's just like, have you gotten regular oil changes? Have you had your car looked at? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we like to give God a lot of credit for, for things that, you know, sometimes are just life and li living life on life's terms, you know? And, uh, you know, somehow God's just going, oh yeah, well, all right, well, I'm going to break their car down because they're not going to church enough and they're not having a quiet time or they're, you know, they listen to that new Nine Inch Nails album, so, uh, you know, we'll give them COVID for that. You know, uh, that's how a lot of the people in the church think. I, I mean, I see a lot of people go, oh, this is, you know, in the 80s, and, and I think this is another reason why the Falwell-related uh, interview kind of gave me this, is because, you know, I mean, Jerry Falwell's literally the time people like, this is, AIDS is God's judgment on the world, you know, and I mean, that's insane, you know, and it doesn't even line up with evangelical theology to think that way. You know, it's actually really completely contradictive to what they're saying. They're kind of picking from different places and different ideas uh, that don't really add up. So, <laughs> so that's interesting as well. Um, but I've also lived in contradiction in my life. Um, but what, what I hope drives me and drives those of us who are here live and those who are listening online or maybe listening to the podcast or watching later on YouTube is the redemption of grace drives me. The idea of grace, this unconditional thing, drives me. Uh, the total acceptance of it, the total pure acceptance, you are accepted. Right? I've talked so much about that talk before um, by by um, Paul Tillich. It's called You Are Accepted. You can Google it and, and read it online. So this idea of redemption of grace dr drives me and things like this. But what I've come to see a lot of the times, you know, is a, is a hard part too, is sometimes a lot of people don't like the Apostle Paul and, and, and don't like, you know, oh, well, I think Paul was this or this or that. And Paul's a very misunderstood, very... One second, everybody. I have to close my kid's door because there's something going on over there. I'll be right back. I apologize. I'm back. Sorry. Um, so, like I said before, the redemption of grace is what drives me and what's what bringing me and brings me to these things. Um, and, and I really love the idea of grace. But the, the, And when I, well, I was talking about Paul, the apostle, and how Paul is often misunderstood and, and some people don't want anything to do with the Paul and they leave Paul out, but... Unfortunately, Paul really lays grace out, the work of grace out, really well for us. And so that's why I think sometimes we start to get some of the same behavior from, from people even on the left who, who have a lack of grace or, or jump into this habit of like wanting to scapegoat. You know, it's, it's an easy way out. It's not critical thinking. Um, and so, you know, that's... And there's a lot of great books out there about the Apostle Paul and what books were written by Paul and what books are reactionary Paul and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Like I've always said, I don't include the pastoral epistles as Paul's authentic writings. Um, there's plenty to read about that, if you will. Um, but anyhow, so, so Paul is different. Paul is unique. Paul is really worthy, worthy to read. Um, so, but I started thinking about grace and, you know, how, how grace is this free gift and how I've always thought that grace was given to us all and kind of how the works, how gifts work. And, uh, and one of the things, um, I was thinking about is, um, for a lot of people though, is, is, is this, is what if grace is, is the unwanted gift, you know, there, there's been so much crap built around the church and Christianity and all this stuff and so much baggage that continues to come to it is the idea of um, what is, you know, what if it's the unwanted gift? 
you know, and why? Why is it the unwanted gift? You know, what is it about it? I don't, you know, I don't want to spend eternity with those people. <laughs> You've seen people say. And what if it's like the U2 album that got put on everybody's iPhone? Like, what if that's how grace works in a way? It's that everybody gets it, you know? But there are people who are, I mean, remember people like, hate, I can't believe they forced me to have this free album and what would they do? And it wasn't even a very good U2 album, unfortunately. It had been Octoon Baby, everybody would have been like, thank you, or like Joshua Tree or something. Um, but it wasn't a great U2 album, I'll give you that. But people were like, you know, we overreact as we do in this like social media world is, you know, we get on there and act like, you know, being given a free album is the worst thing in the world, you know. And, you know, people in other countries look at us and go like, are these people insane? You know, like, you know, we're killed if we pray or we're killed if we don't cover our heads or we're, you know, we're in war. And, and these guys are all like really angry that they got this free thing on their, <laughs> on their, uh, on their, on their really expensive device. Um, so what if Grace is the unwanted U2 album on your iPhone? And I think that's an interesting way to think about Grace is um, not everybody's going to want it. Not everybody's going to receive it. Not everybody's going to accept it. You know, so when we show Grace, sometimes people are not, it's going to just make them more angry. Um, because often you fall out of the role that you've played your whole life when you start showing grace and start showing love and, and start showing compassion or even are just quiet. You know, they go, uh, you're not doing what, you know, you're supposed to, you know. And it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's received as, as something that's unwanted. Sometimes people want to fight. They want the argument. They want the, you know, to go forward and, and, and sometimes grace what it does is it takes the power away of the conflict and I think conflict is fantastic but grace sometimes may embrace the conflict but leave before the war because grace doesn't have that you know grace says no, I'm not going to cancel so I can't cancel someone so now the free grace the thing I, I want to give it I want to share my YouTube album with other people um, <laughs> for free you know ah, please I don't want it I don't want it you know um, and you understand because it's not got, you know, what is, look what it's related to, you know? I mean, I remember in like 10 years ago, it used to always be like anytime someone would ask me what I would have to, what I did for like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, I don't vote this way. I don't think this way. I mean, I don't believe that, you know, I'd have to give all these like, you know, this asterisk constantly to everybody like, uh, you know, I'm not that kind of Christian, you know? And I've, I've really just stopped doing that. Uh, because if I did, I would really have to go through a whole bunch of stuff now. Like, oh, I don't believe in this. Or, I don't think this. Or, you know, now it's just kind of like, I am who I am. I am what I am. And what do I do? I live my life. Um, and why has a religion based on faith, hope, and love, really grace and forgiveness and, and things like that become really the opposite of that and not known for that at all and, and, and become known for, for what it's against. And, and I was thinking about, you know, um, you know, often when churches are divided or when people destroy other Christians because they say, oh, they've done this and this and this. And, that, you know, and it's always the focus on the things they've done or they haven't done. You know, we're always like, it's like we have this list of, well, they haven't done this, and then we have a list of things they have done, you know. And usually both lists aren't the most positive, you know. A lot of times it's very easy just to just critique these things. Um, we've been, why, you know, how have we become one of the most conditional religions? You know, and when I read Tillich, he always talks about what I loved about, you know, when he talks about what draws him to Christianity is the humiliation of God on the cross, cross becoming, you know, Christ becoming one of us. And then the idea of um, the idea of of this really amazing type of love, you know, this really really type of amazing, you know, love that seems to like always be there, you know. Um, but we're usually known for what we're against, what sin, what we what the sin is. As long as the sin isn't like our sin, we're usually really against it. Um, 
I put up a, uh, a meme the other day that says, don't judge uh, people because their sins are, you know, don't judge people because their sins are different than yours. Uh, um, and Snoop Dogg actually was the one who put it up. It was just pretty cool. Um, but we seem to have become a very conditional religion, a religion based on what have you done for me lately or have you kept your nose clean type of thing, not about forgiveness and restoration. Um, and for destroying other people, for destroying others, for coming against each other. Uh, it's almost like we've become the unconditional, conditional religion. I, I also saw, I'm learning more from memes than I am from books. <laughs> you know, another meme the other day, and I, I shared it, you know, it's like, oh, so you believe there's a, the man in the sky loves you unconditionally, but conditionally? You know, and it, it's this idea that like, oh, God's love for me is unconditional, but then there's, oh, well, do you do this? Or have you done this? Or have you, you know, like, what have you done? Have you done that? Have you made this mistake? You know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so, anyway, I'll let you just sit with that. The unconditional condition. You know, what happened uh, to welcoming the widow, welcoming the stranger, uh, the orphan? Uh, the idea of not here to reign, but to, to serve, you know, and to uh, be in compassionate, as our Father in Heaven is compassionate. You know, how have we gone from grace to gatekeepers? You know, and I'm asking these questions because this is really just kind of a stream of consciousness that I was working with when I was working on this talk because I'm in the middle of this very heavy book right now, so it's really hard to, like, write the, the fantastic anything because I'm, I'm in the really... So I just wanted to see what the stream of conscious was happening in my, my world as I'm reading this very, you know, tough uh, book um, on these concepts. Um, but, you know, how have we become from grace givers or forgivers to gatekeepers? And so I know I'm preaching to the choir often, uh, you know, to the converted or to the people who, who agree with me on this, but I think these are questions that we have to continue to ask and make sure that we're not creating gatekeeping for our own type of theology, for our own philosophy, that we're able to uh, always be forgiveness and, and, and showing grace. You know, last week I talked about the fact that, you know, I haven't spoken to my father in a while, and that's been really tough. Um, but I still want to keep the door open. I don't want to be sitting, I want to be like the, the prodigal dad, you know, where you're just standing, you know, waiting for the person to come back, and that door is always open. There's not a gatekeeping, to, you know, with questions at the door or a list at the door. And um, how do we do that? And I think that requires much grace. And I think about that verse where it says, much given, much is required. And I used to think, oh, that means like if you have a big church, you gotta be extra, you know, if you're a pastor and you've done something well, you know, you've been successful, you have to you know, make sure that you're, you're giving what you get. And that might be some truth to that, but I've been, you know, we've been given much grace and, um, and, and who much grace is given, much grace is required to give in a way, I think, you know, and there's, is that the conditional, conditional? But I'm just saying, like, it doesn't mean you're not going to get grace if you don't give it, but uh, faith without works is dead, and I think the idea is, is not that it's saying, like, you're not, you're, you have no faith, but it's just saying your faith, if you're dead, is not useless to other, it's useless to other people. If you're not giving grace to other people, showing grace, showing love, uh, the best of your abilities, then, you know, uh, that's not possible. Now I'm going to go on. There's lots of nuances because we're all human beings going through human experiences. And I think that's why it's important that we have groups of people that we, we talk with and work with in communities and, and different things like that. Um, you know, um, and there's some, you know, I remember when I would speak at, at these Christian festivals, I remember I was speaking at Cornerstone, one, uh, one of the pastors there, um, Glenn Kaiser called me to the tent and he's, you know, one of the head guys and said, I'm a little worried. I think you might be a little heavy on this grace thing. You know, I think there might be a little bit more of the, you know, too much, you know, you're, you're kind of heavy there. You know, I think you might be missing out on the other things. And, and I get that a lot from people, you know, like, well, what about judgment and wrath and justice? You know, I'm like, God, these people really love like the, like the, the heavy, like harsh, 
there's these people who just seem to be attracted to like the harshness of of of, of a faith, you know, and they, and they and they want all the. the and I often wonder if they read the grace things and go like, oh, I don't know if I can believe this Bible even is real, you know, if they have doubts. Because sometimes when I read some of that harshness stuff, if I don't really understand it, I go, oh, why am I? Why do I? follow this these ideals and sometimes i have to pick and choose you know you and i think grace is a trump card for all this stuff so there um and i think those who fear grace and love have much to learn i really do um i'll i'm gonna use an example again from my past um There was a, my dad had this TV ministry and on one of the, one of the channels uh, on the TV ministry was this uh, Jimmy Swagger. He used to kind of preach all these like underhanded passive aggressive sermons that were against my dad, but he was on my, the, the channel that my dad provided. And so it was really tough and they ended up splitting ways and kind of not becoming enemies or frenemies or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, swagger called my dad a uh, cancer on the body of Christ and all this stuff, you know, because there wasn't this grace. And sometimes I go, man, people who fear grace have much to learn. Now, five years, go five years into the future, or six years into the future, I can't remember how long it was, when my dad, when my dad was in prison, and I was working on his appeal and asking people to write letters and asking televangelists to ask their communities to write letters and pastors to ask their churches to write these letters to help my dad get out of prison earlier rather than 45 years. And um, one of the people, I mean, I was just like called anybody. And so I called Jimmy Swagger. And I said, I, I need your help. And he's like, well, we filmed all our shows. And a lot of people have been shooting me down. A lot of the biggies have been shooting me down. And I was feeling very hopeless at this point. And I said, I need your help. You know, my dad's been in prison for a long time. You know, we need to get a sentence reduced. I want to get him home. I need your help. And he goes, well, we've already shot all of our shows. We filmed them ahead of time and then the sermons and stuff. And he goes, but I'll tell you what. I understand where you're coming from. I'll go back and I will shoot an ending and we'll tap them on the back of all the different, all the different uh, shows, all the sermons and all these stuff. So at the end, I have a request asking people to send a letter to the appeal board for you on, 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 on our behalf. Um... So I was like, oh, okay, great. This is, this is amazing. And at this point, uh, Swaggart had had his scandal, had been platted all over the place. He, you know, cried, and, you know, and been humiliated. And so sometimes I feel like it, what takes us to learn grace, and for me what was learning grace is I was really, I was an alcoholic. You know, I, I didn't know how to quit. And, and it was this being sick and tired of being sick and tired, this idea of going like, I can't live under this type of pressure that I'm putting on myself, that I'm allowing these communities and of these people to put on me. This isn't right. And so I had to learn to accept myself and just realize what it's like to suffer and also not want to see others suffer. And that's kind of my work is going like, I don't want you to suffer in these similar ways. And some of you have suffered worse than me and I don't want you to have to continue to suffer. You know, like, it's not a competition, really. It's just about, like, learning to learn from your own pain and your own stuff and what you want to give back from those moments. And mine is less pain in so many ways. And maybe that's me also trying to heal my own, um, which is kind of a principle of, you know, put yourself into work and you become kind of busy so you don't have to focus on those things. Um, but those who fear grace and love and think it's, oh, it's going to be licensed, I often think that they, that, you know, maybe they just haven't hit in the bottom. I mean, they haven't hit in such a dark place where they realize that this is what they need. You know, that the reason, the reason it's there because they're trying to follow a law or a tradition or regulations, um, a pseudo-Christianity, um, an antichrist spirit, if you will, that says, well, I don't need Jesus. Jesus, you can come down from the cross because I got this taken care of because I've got everything together and all my, you know, I's dotted and my T's crossed you know, type of kind of idea. And then there becomes a moment where life and chaos break into life, which happens often because life is, you know, ups and downs. And we realize like, oh God, I need grace at this moment. You know, you ever just say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and hurt the wrong person or hurt a person, you know, and, and, and you realize, oh, you don't feel worthy of the grace. And that's why it's free. That's why it's unmerited favor. Um, you know, and my life has been full of conflicts and loss and pain. 
And I'll say no amount of grace has ever given me a free ride or given me easy street. And so that's one thing I've learned is this big fear of like, well, if you too much grace, you, oh, you're gonna tickle the ears. And, and I found if you really talk about, speak about radical grace, there's often not, it's often received in a way of, of, of U2 on an iPhone. You know, getting a free U2 album on your iPhone. People go, uh, why is this free? Why do I, I, this is too good to be true. Or I don't want this. I, why, don't force me to listen to this band because I'm from a different generation. You know, or <laughs> it's taken up a little tiny bit of my space. You know, it's this thing that no one wants. It's just, this is, I don't want your gift. I don't want your present. I don't want your album, but to get rid of it. Um... You know, and then there's the people on the other side who are like, well, too much grace, and then you just, there's a slippery slope. And I'm like, yeah, it's a total slippery slope. It's total slippery slope into like, for me, it's been into like deeper studies, uh, biblical history, and now I'm trying to understand philosophy, and I have a learning disability, and but it's, when I read these things, it gives me excitement, it gives me hope, and it's driven me into this area of, of understanding even things deeper. And what I found is there's a lot of people who don't want to go deeper. They don't want to go into, you know, deeper studies and deeper things, and they don't want to question what's been traditional, even though the traditional things are, are, are you know, may have just come from uh, a type of purity culture or from the Enlightenment period, and, you know, and that it's not even really anything that's biblical, but it's a tradition that's just a couple hundred years old. You know, people don't want to often face that. And often they don't give themselves the grace to face that, to go like, oh, I've gotten it wrong, I've made it, you know, they think, well, it's all or nothing. It's all this. It's all this either really crappy, legalistic, weird, traditional American Christianity, or it's nothing. You know, and I see a lot of that happening. And it's almost a way of just not allowing grace to move and to help us grow and to mature and to reach a different place. And that's just about life. We just grow. We learn things and we change things and we have different opinions and we have different ideas and, you know, um, you know, I used to just go down the line when I voted Democrat. You know, um, probably last time I voted, I did that. But now I'm thinking differently because I'm, I, I, I worry. I look at both sides, and I haven't become a Republican by any means. But what I'm saying is, is that there, there's lessons I've learned in life. There's things I've seen. Now, high insight has allowed me to grow and, and learn more and be okay with that change. You know, people want to say, well, God's the same today, tomorrow, and ever. You know, I'm like, well, if we're created in God's image, something happens. Some sort of progress happens. If you look at the biblical New Testament, there's progress of acceptance. And, you know, the Gentiles aren't accepted. It's for the Jews. And then all of a sudden, the Gentiles are accepted people. There's more and more and more inclusion. Um, so that's my thing, is, is if you fear grace or you think grace is, there might be the chances that you're going to end up needing this grace, this, this acceptance, this complete understanding this this Paul Tillich's version of you are accepted one day. So I recommend finding that and saving it and have it in your back pocket if you think grace is too much. Um, the haunting persists even more to uh, encourage others to suffer less or at least suffer well. You know, we talk about arguing well, but often not suffering well and learning how to deal with your pain. And, and that's one of the things I liked about dialectic behavior therapy, DBT, is that it allowed me to deal with my pain. It, well, there was not an escape, because you can't always, and that's one of the things I like about the 12-step program, is that you live to live with pain on pains. The pain is there, and you, what you're trying to do is not run to a bottle, or in this life, not run to other things, or run to distractions, but to allow this pain to be there. And also to realize like some of these voices and some of these things that you're telling yourself aren't true and allow those things to move and just be thoughts and that thoughts aren't realities and allow those realities to continue to just move on, those thoughts just to move on because they're not realities is what I meant. You know, like a cloud moving in the sky. And I've learned that over time, you know. So, uh, so learning to even help others suffer well and go through suffering together. Um, I, I've, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot of different lessons about suffering. Um, or, and, and not causing others to suffer from our actions and our words. And, and not easy. And yes, some will, will, will struggle to hear this. Um, you know, are, you know what's, what are you challenging? Are you, are, you, you know, are you challenging theology or are you hurting a person with your words? You know, are you, you know, what, 
you know, choose your battles wisely. And, and is, the timing is, is, I've always found to be really uh, important as well. I mean, I know these are basic things, but these seem to be the basic things that we're missing in the church. So if you go, well, Jay, I've already got this. Well, what I'm saying is, is these are maybe things to be thinking about when we're arguing with other people. If we want to see hope for the church, if we really want to be revolutionary, if we really want to move forward, that these are things that we need to consider. Um, false teachers don't learn from being destroyed. There you go. I'm going to say it. False teachers don't learn from being destroyed. And I see a lot of people who think we've got to get rid of this type of teacher. We've got to get rid of this type of church. Um, how, how, do we, how do we get rid of it? You know, how do we, how do we, uh, how do we get rid of that person? Um, you know, I don't like what they say. And, and, and I will say that false teachers don't seem to learn from being destroyed. And I will quote King on this, only love is what converts an enemy to a friend. Only love and respect. I think when I've learned things and changed my mind, it hasn't come from being persecuted by a group of people or being told I was leading people to the devil. That really never made me think. It made me think that these folks are kind of wackadoodle and overreacting. Um, what really changed me is when I sat down with somebody and had a, a conversation or they said something, you know, in a moment where we were at a bar or at a meal or on the corner sitting somewhere. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we're on online group, but online isn't always the best way to see it because you can't hear nuances, you can't see facial expressions, so maybe Zoom calls are better, I don't know. Um, but... Um, only love can do that. And there, and there has to be a chance. There has to be arguing well, you know. And it also has to be like not just preaching to the choir, you know, not just preaching to the converters. I, I have a friend who's doing this thing of like uh, posting all these things he's doing about how to confront false teachers, you know. But he's just preaching to other people who agree with them and who they think the false teachers are and who they think the false teachers are. A lot of people I think are actually really great people, um, <laughs> you know, and how to rebuke them and things like that. And I don't know if they're teaching the concept of arguing well, but I think arguing well with others and loving others and um, maybe saying, well, these, you know, sometimes false, when you're preaching something that's not true or that's not relevant or that's just not, you know, either you're doing it out of tradition sometimes, you're out of a comfort zone. Um, you, you know, that's why it says in the Bible, be ready to give an answer, but be make sure that answer is covered in grace and love and mercy. You know, maybe sure it's graceful. Make sure that's a loving way to give it. So the Bible isn't stand in the corner and tell these people they're bad or get online and put up a video about this guy who's a horrible heretic and is leading every, you know, buddy to hell or whatever. And that's not confronting a human being. Like every time I watch something that they talk about my dad a lot, a lot of the left commentators, you know, they put this, oh, Jim Baker said I can't It's not doing anything to change him. He's not watching that. He's not listening. And they're already, they're, everybody who follows them are already people who agree with them. So they're not really changing them, you know. So it's like, we, I think one of the things we can learn from this that was important is that we need to learn to be self-reflective and that we need to be willing to look at ourselves and, 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 and be willing to be critique, critique ourselves, not a horrible way, but an honest way, and, and take evaluation and, and accept our side of the battle and our side of the road and our side of, of, of humanity. Uh, our own faults and be willing to admit those things and be clear about those things. But also, you know, if you're just going out there telling everybody that already agrees with you that these people are bad, and you're, oh, yeah, they're bad, they're bad. It's just, it's just getting the base moving. It's just, oh, we're all, we're all angry and we hate conservative Christians. And then the liberal Christians, oh, we hate, or the conservative Christians, we hate liberal Christians, you know, because they're all watching. Oh, can you believe this is what they said? And I just watch these guys. Just, it's like spiritual masturbation. You know, it's like this Christian masturbation of types of where we just get off, getting off on saying that other people are bad. Yeah, they're bad. Oh, yeah, yeah they're bad. Oh, yeah, they're bad. And that person's never being told you're bad. No one's going to them and meeting with them like it says in the Bible. No one's sitting down in the community saying, hey, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. I mean, when people said, deny your father publicly, well, I'll never do that, you know, because I want to sit down and say, Dad... These are areas that I agree. These are areas that I don't agree. I want to have the hard conversations. You know, I don't want to burn the whole thing down. Um, you know, and also sometimes a good book leads me to repentance faster than someone sending me a text message or someone saying something to me in public or someone sending me, you know, 
uh, angry, definitely a good book, reading a good book and going like, oh, I've got to rethink this. You know, I haven't done this. Oh, wow, I never even saw it this way. You know, there's this really good guy, I can't remember his name, but he's really brilliant and he teaches biblical history and he has a little videos that he puts on Instagram and and it just, some of the stuff he says, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, he's like, at first I was jealous. I was like, this guy's too good. I gotta, what am I gonna do? <laughs> but now I'm like, no, I need to learn from this guy. You know, I don't need to be jealous of this guy. I need to be like, oh, you know, and so I send questions and, and things like that because I'm going like, this is really interesting. I didn't know this part of biblical history. You know, I didn't know this tradition was from that time. You know, how, how interesting. Oh, I didn't know, that, you know, oh, this is what Paul was confronting as well. Like, oh, I don't know if I agree with you, but I would love to have a conversation with you about it or at least lead me to a book that would have a good conversation. So sometimes repentance and all those things comes from just hearing a good talk, from being part of a community, from listening and not saying, you know, from service, not, you know, it's interesting. It's really interesting is what I'm trying to say is that it's not always... I got to a point where and it, I felt like it might have been passive aggressive, may not, but sometimes I would just send people books, you know, and there's been great when I've had tough conversations with people, especially like, you know, 15 years ago when I was started doing the LGBTQ stuff, you know, some of these guys would argue with me, biblical stuff, and I said, listen, I've got a book that really I feel makes this clear in the forward alone. I remember there was this book I really loved at the time, I still love it, it's called The Time to Embrace by Stacey Johnson, and I said, listen, you just got to read the forward to this book, the, the forward to this book is amazing. Like, it will make you think differently. So just the four, I'm not asking you to read this whole book. And I would send the book. You remember when, I, I mean, Amazon, I still does the gifts thing. I'd send it as a gift to their house and be like, listen, just read the forward. Let's talk about it. Now, I have to say that I don't think anybody ever got back to me to talk to me about it. Or I don't even know if they ever read it, but I did send a lot of books out at one time. Um, and, and that's why I love good literature, even when it, I don't agree with it, you know? Um, I would, back in the day, I would read uh, some neo-Calvinist books, you know, just to kind of, like, where are they coming from? Where's common ground here? Where, what are they saying? You know, like, I hear what they're saying, like, in the pulpits, but what are they really, what are they breaking down? Um, I remember one, there was, like, like, a rattlesnake on the front, and I'm reading the book, and then I realized that the rattlesnake was to represent my really, pretty much my good friend Brian McLaren and the emergent church that I was a part of at the time, so I thought that was pretty interesting. But... There's been times where I've been reading books and I'm thinking differently. I've shipped and shaped, shaped completely different understandings of, of my belief system, of what I think God is and what, how I think Christianity is and what that represents. It's, it's a constant evolution. So if you don't want evolution, if you want a church that's been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow and that never changes, and I've seen a lot of churches like that, this, is not, this revolution is not the gathering for you or that community. Because um, we're constantly asking and testing these ideas out, which I think is, is vital to what we do. So what can we learn from, uh, I, I, can we learn from like people like philosophers? Sometimes, you know, you'll I'll read about these philosophers and then find out like they're, the one they disagreed with most because they debated a lot became very good friends. <laughs> And then they would end up like, hey, let's go out afterwards and have a beer. I mean, we're doing all these events together. Let's hang out. Let's spend some time. And they didn't always come to agree together, but they were able to be friends and disagree on their core belief system and still be friends and still be in, in, in a holy community with each other, like, which I call like going to the bar and sitting down and just sitting table to table, you know, face to face at a table and have these great conversations. And then, you know, when they die, they go, oh, my buddy who I critiqued most of my life was also my best friend and I loved them and they were so much meant, meant so much to me. And you go like, oh my God, I thought these guys hated each other. You know, but it was just that they disagreed on their core belief system, <laughs> but they were still able to be friends and to love each other. I mean, so I think we can learn a lot from philosophers. I think we put this idea of these magical thinking of heaven and hell and, oh, they're, they're antichrist and they're this and they're that. Oh, they're of the devil, you know, and we just do all this weird, magical, unrealistic thinking like we're in like Harry Potter world or something or like a superhero movie and like, oh, it's Lex Luthor, we got to defeat him, you know. Rather than like, these are human beings who we can communicate with and disagree and disagree well. Sorry, there's my, there's my, my, my Jim Baker preaching voice. Um, taking away one's flat platform is often uh, temporary as well. I mean, you know, I had a very big platform <laughs> in, the, in, in the early 2000s uh, where I was speaking to a lot of evangelicals about very progressive things, but they were letting me in. But as soon as I became affirming, they dropped me. And now, how do, what's our count right now? 12? 
okay? I used to make a living just going out and speaking um, and running the church. And they all pulled out and the money pulled out and the support pulled out and the speaking engagements went away. Um, what changed about me? I love people more. I read more philosophy. I'm more interested in biblical history and I still support my LGBTQ neighbors. It didn't do anything. Like taking the money, making me, you know, I mean, it might make me have to work another job. You know, oh, they showed me. <laughs> you know, now I'm putting their groceries in at Costco, you know, or serving them a latte at Starbucks or something, you know, with a wink, make them think about the coffee on the way home. Um, but it hasn't changed my situation. Well, look at people like Mark Driscoll, who lost, you know, had a huge mega church here in Seattle, you know, and had a huge scandal and everything fell apart. Well, now he's in Arizona doing the same, preaching the same thing. Look at my dad. He had this huge, he fell apart, he went to prison, and now he's actually more conservative than he ever was. So his message changed to become more conservative and, and, and less inclusive. But the fact is, is like these ideas of if I destroy this group, if I tear this group down, or I tear this person down, or do really doesn't do anything except make it harder for them to pay bills. And you then, I mean, then what are we, just vindictive bastards? We're just, <laughs> now Lex Luthor can't afford the mind melting machine, you know? We're not changing theology. We're not changing hearts. We're not leading to any real type of repentance. And often it's just these people who are like dogs to vomit and just return to those ideas. But even I said I didn't. You know, I probably became more liberal than what than what the conservatives wanted me to be when that all happened. You know. But then of course I ran to the liberal church and realized that they needed to do some work too. So now I talk a lot about my progressive friends and make them uncomfortable as well. So now I'm just making more people uncomfortable. But what I'm saying is, so those aren't probably the best ideas of destroying people. Doesn't work. And it's not biblical. We're to restore one another. We're to show compassion. There's a reason we show compassion. We show mercy. We give a graceful answer. You know, there's a reason why God's, when, when, when the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you know, they've rejected us. Should you just bring down some angels with flame swords? Because that's every, what I see. And I think of this story every time I hear people like, I hope God's, I saw this guy, I hope God's condemnation comes down on California for its support of, you know, abortion. And Jesus looks at these guys and goes, you guys don't even know what you're asking. You don't know what you're talking about. Like either it's more horrific than you could ever imagine or it's just something that doesn't happen. But he's going, you don't know what you're asking. We just got to move on. We're not going to destroy these people because they didn't agree with us or because they didn't change with what we said. We just got to move on. And a lot of people don't want to move on. A lot of people want to stay and rot something from within. And that's not Christianity. You know, destroying from within isn't. You know, I even remember as a kid, my dad said, if you're going to leave a church... And he did this. I mean, he worked with a lot of big people. He worked with Pat Roberts and he worked with uh, um, Paul and Jan and all these people. He was like, if you leave a community, don't shit on the community. Don't destroy the community. Just move on and do something better. Do something great. Make the message clear. You know, take what you've learned to do and not to do from these things and move forward. And I've tried to do that. And even when I've left out of a place when I got let go from this one church uh, years ago and I couldn't understand why, I remember calling the pastor back, and thank God it was before he passed, and saying, hey, you know, a lot of the stuff I argued with you about, well, you were right. I didn't realize what you were going through. I didn't know what it was like to have a staff. I didn't know what it was like to run anything. I didn't know what it was like to raise this kind of money. And I won't call back and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I was so hard on you. I'm sorry I was so naive. You know, I was, it came from the right, I thought it came from the right place, but I realized that I was probably adding a lot of stress to you only because I've hired a few people who are just like me, I was then, and now I've realized what I was doing, so please forgive me. And he laughed, he thought it was fantastic, you know? And that's how learning and growing should go for us. You know, instead, if someone doesn't grow on our time limits, we want to destroy them. And we don't destroy them, we just push them away and we push them and then we lose uh, having a valuable place in people's lives. I'd rather be able to have a place in my enemy's life. You remember, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. You know, I'd rather have those moments and have those conversations and argue well and maybe learn something from people like that. Uh, but it can be tough. Like, it can be very tough. Uh, me and the guy who worked with Falwell have agreed to sit down and have a conversation together. And it's tough because I was really triggered and I said some things that weren't great. And then I had to say back to him, like, I'm really sorry. I was really triggered by these things. And I said some things I didn't mean or some things out of hurt. And I hope we can still have this conversation that's, that, that works better through this. Um, and I think it's often it's because we mistake like book sales and platforms 
you know, and things like that. And we see him as power. We think it's power. And we miss the message and we miss the human being. You know, could you think about it if we thought about, oh, this person's kids maybe would suffer, or this person may suffer, or their wife may suffer, or their family may suffer, or the people in that community may suffer, or, you know, yeah, we would like to tear this person down, but have you seen what they do to the homeless? And what's going to who's going to fill that place that, that gets all those people fed every week? You know, like if we had really, really critiqued our, our thinking and use real critical thinking of like, what, let's look at a bigger picture. You know, that's what I love about radical theology. It just doesn't focus in on the one mistake. It comes out and tries to look at the whole thing, the whole story. And I think earlier Terry said, you know, the forest for the trees, you know, like we're going to look at the trees, but then we got to look back and go, there's a forest here. So we can't just burn this tree down because if it does, we're going to burn this whole forest, you know, and thinking about things like that because we're called to love others and think about others and care about others. Um, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Um, so the message, what's the message today? So I guess the message is what are, you know, what, what, is we have bigger issues to tackle. We have more complicated issues to tackle. We have harder stuff to deal with. And I will promise you, um, um, to try to tackle these issues and try to see the forest and look at the nuances. You know, I'll get up and look at the tree, but try to sit back and look at the nuances and look at these things and continue to read hard texts <laughs> that you should read. I would recommend reading, but if you don't want to, I will do my best to read and, and explain them, but I might be not the best person to explain them, but, you know, I can give you the uh, sources. A lot of these guys have great podcasts or podcasts about them or books about them, and you can, you know, get in there. It's taken me a long time to get to the place where I'm at. Um, so, so I guess the ideal here is, 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 is that we have a long way to go and hopefully we have a long time to get there. Hopefully it's not a long way to go and a short time to get there, like the, uh, smoking the bandit, but let's just continue in this community to do these things. And then what do we do in this group? It's not so we can go on and make each other necessarily in this group. I mean, we want to grow in this group, but how can we return this? How can we continue to spread this out? And so I'm speaking from my own human experience, my own understanding, but as is any teacher or pastor or theologian or philosopher or people like that. I think this is a great way to learn. I think this is a great way to share. And actually, I learn a lot from talking, giving these talks because I'm kind of nailing it into my brain as well and also seeing your comments and things like that. And as we continue to grow, we'll get better at having Q&As and things like that. I think there's a way I can record some of my talks ahead of time and then just come in and be live for the Q&As and we can have conversations actually during the talks. And so we're going to work on that in the future. Um, unfortunately, that takes time and money. Um, I've got time. I just don't have a lot of money at this point. <laughs> and so that's why Revolution could really use your support. Um, RevolutionChurch.com helps support our work and what we're doing. Uh, you know, I've got people like Josh working with me who's really eager to do a lot of really cool things. It's just right now, um, can we make it happen? How do we cover the time financially? And even like I'd like to help him a little bit financially, um, but I can't really help anybody else financially. I'm not even this month. I have not uh, gotten a paycheck. I have another job, which has helped me a lot and allowed me to do this. But um, uh, this isn't the type of thing I feel like I'm, I'm called to do voluntarily my whole life, the rest of my life uh, unless I can get a really good um uh, really good uh, <laughs> second job. <laughs> but so your support really does help. And financially, it really helps. Sharing these talks on social media really helps. Letting people know what we're doing really helps. So thank you so much for all of that. Uh, lots of grace to you. And um, next week, I will kind of give you guys an idea of what the um, Tammy Faye musical was like and uh, what it was like to be in Jolly Old England and to see Kate and uh, hopefully Barry and a few of you others there in Jolly Old England and sip some tea together. So ta-ta, and I will see you. Uh, maybe I might even do a special video from, um, from London because, man, I love English culture, and that's where all my favorite bands are from. A bunch of blokes, crazy blokes. So thank you, folks. Thanks again. Please check out revolutionchurch.com and consider um, supporting our work. We really could use the help. Thank you so much. Be blessed, have grace, and practice this stuff. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.